This is an American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to re-watching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Katie White, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Chad Hopkins. Hi, Chad. How are you? Doing okay, Katie. How about you? Pretty well. I really enjoyed our uh, last episode, getting that wrapped up, uh, finishing up season two. Yeah, we're diving into season three already. It's it's funny, you and I just recorded our season two finale episode two days ago, something like that, if even that. And uh, now here we are uh, already diving into season three. So we hope everybody out there enjoyed our season two finale episode. Um, we're recording very late Monday night. It is already very early <laughs> Tuesday morning for Katie and will be shortly for me. Um, but it's been less than 24 hours since we posted that a special commentary of Casino Night. So if you haven't heard that yet and tried to watch along with us, uh, we'd love it if you did. And then let us know what you think, whether it's something you'd like us to do a little bit more often or whatever else. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And if you are watching The Office for the first time along with us, stop here. Big spoilers coming. Uh, Season two finale was a big episode. So go watch that first. Definitely. And I think with that, we can go ahead and dive into our first episode discussion, episode 301, which is titled Gay Witch Hunt. (laughs) It was aired on September 21st of 2006 and directed by Ken Quapis and written by showrunner Greg Daniels. So Michael has gotten into trouble with corporate again. This time, Michael calls Oscar a gay slur and doesn't know that Oscar is actually gay. He's actually a homosexual. This leads to Michael forcing Oscar to come out in front of the entire office against his will. Big news for Pam is that she has called off her wedding with Roy at the very last minute. Uh, But it's too late for our star-crossed lovers. Jim has transferred to Stamford, Connecticut. He no longer works at Dunder Mifflin Scranton. But Jim, ever the prankster, continues to mess with Dwight, even across state lines. So the episode starts off with a cold open as it typically does. This one's not played for laughs so much. We find out that Ryan is no longer a temp, so he is uh, going to be able to say at his high school reunion, his 10-year high school reunion, that he is no longer a temp, but he is a junior sales associate at a mid-range paper supply firm. He says that'll show him. (laughs) But then we also get an extended, uh, or maybe not even extended, we get the finale of the kiss in the office at the end of casino night where what happens after the actual kiss and they just stare at each other uh what goes beyond that so we we get a a few things answered yeah um the 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 last cut of season two ended very abruptly kiss stare cut that's it and we get the last few seconds of that conversation um jim saying to pam you have no idea how long i wanted to do that And Pam says, I think we're just drunk. And Jim kind of shocked says, I'm not drunk. Are you drunk? And Pam says, no. Uh, So Jim leans in for another kiss and Pam stops him. Jim asks, are you really going to marry him? And Pam nods. So that's all we're given. Right. I mean, the biggest tell for me is that when Jim first says that this is something he'd wanted to do for a very long time, she actually responds, me too, which (laughs) not something an engaged woman should be saying. Of course, an engaged woman shouldn't be kissing anybody else anyways. But she says, me too. I wanted to kiss you for such a long time too. 
And then that head nod, yes, when Jim asks her if she's going to still marry Roy, it almost it, it almost seems to communicate that that might have been something that was discussed in the phone call. Um, like, didn't she say something in response to her mother? Like, yes, I think I am or something like that. Yeah. Maybe another possibility was, yes, I am still going to marry Roy. And that was sort of the the nod that she gives Jim there. Like she's thought about it and she thinks it's the right thing to do as much as she may want to leave with Jim. It's one of the more heartbreaking scenes you've gotten. Possibly for me, even more heartbreaking than the original rejection uh, before the kiss in the season two finale, Casino Night, when Jim says he loves her and she turns him down. But this is a whole different kind of heartbreak because Pam is kissing him back. And she still says, yeah, I'm going to marry Roy. She knows she has feelings for Jim at this point. She's said it. I, I've wanted to kiss you for a long time, but she's still choosing this other life. Right. And the way that finally ends is they, they sort of, they're holding hands. And when Pam has said, yes, I'm still marrying Roy, their hands linger for a second. And then they just slowly pull apart. Like it's not an abrupt drop. It's like they linger and it's time to let go. And Jim leaves her. It's like they're trying to hold on to that relationship or at least their friendship for as long as they can. But Jim is having to, Jim has to get out of there for his own sanity. And he does. He is in Stamford now. We meet some of the new Stamford people, especially Andy, who is played by Ed Helms. <clears throat> Excuse me. Who is played by Ed Helms. A uh, bit of an interesting character. We'll get to know Andy more and more. But um, so far, what we know about Andy. So far, what we know about Andy is he calls Jim, not by his name, but he calls him Big Tuna because, <laughs> as Jim says, one time he had a tuna sandwich at lunch, um, which I also wanted to point out. There was a big thing at Scranton that Jim always had a ham and cheese. Now he's switching to tuna. His whole life is upside down. <laughs> oh, that, that's not even something I consider. That's a good catch. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Andy's funny. Um, he's got a bit of a temper. Uh Jim tries to prank Andy by putting his calculator in Jello, just like he did at the very beginning of season one with Dwight's stapler, and Andy does not take it well. He has a bit of an anger problem. Jim is trying to fight back a grin as Andy is first asking everybody about it when he first notices it, and then when he all of a sudden like drop kicks a trash can, says he's going to lose his freaking mind, uh, Jim just sort of turns his head away. Nope, this isn't funny anymore. Not going to do that anymore. Uh, it was worth a shot. <laughs> um, so we'll, we'll get more from Andy. Uh, it was also mentioned that he is a Cornell graduate and he was in the acapella group Here Comes Treble at Cornell. Uh, two things that he's very prideful on already, even though we didn't get much preview of any sort of singing capabilities yet. <laughs> uh, but then we also met Karen, who uh, calls Jim out. It's like a funny meta joke. He, she calls Jim out for the weird camera shrugs and glances that we sort of know Jim for as audience members. It's almost like she's immune to Jim the goofy guy charm, uh, which is sort of what has endeared him to all of us in a lot of ways. Karen kind of cuts the BS with Jim, it seems like. She's awfully hard on, on Jim here, especially. It's interesting. She calls him a kiss-ass, which... Never would have applied to Jim ever under any circumstance at Scranton. 
So things have changed. He has productive conference room meetings. You go into the conference room and, and Josh is actually going over business items and assigning, uh, handing out cold calls. And Jim is volunteering to do these cold calls. And it's just the strangest turn of events where it's so polar opposite from what we're used to at the Scranton branch. And we also see a little bit of how the Scranton branch's antics affect the other Dunder Mifflin branches as... Uh, we actually find out later Mr. Brown comes back to do the same diversity training at Stanford that he did at Scranton back in Diversity Day in season one because of what is happening at Scranton, which we'll talk about. You're so right on the uh, change in gym. In fact, Andy even has a talking head that says, Big Tuna is a super ambitious guy, you know, cut your throat to get ahead kind of guy, which is not who he was in Scranton uh, <laughs> at all. He was, you know, do the very least you can to get by. He even said in the pilot of season one that he's like, I bore myself just talking about my own job. Um, so I think this move, career-wise anyway, is going to be really good for Jim. Uh, he seems to be taking himself a lot more seriously, and he got a promotion, which he swears means something in Stanford. Uh, he is assistant regional manager at Stanford. It's funny. He actually sort of catches himself in the same sort of scenario that he would make fun of Dwight for, where uh, this might have been a deleted scene, but Karen actually pulls a prank on Jim, which it's it's actually in a deleted scene, but she pulls a prank on him by forwarding his phone line to dial Hong Kong. And when he uh, figures out that it's her, she says, don't be such a suck up. He, he, as in Josh, did not make you king of the world. You're just the assistant. And Jim says, I'm not his assistant. I'm assistant regional manager. And he sort of pauses there because that was the moment that he would always tell Dwight, assistant to the regional manager. And th there is a distinct difference. Assistant to, assistant regional. There, there's a difference, but we wonder how much. And it just reminds Jim of home, basically. And then just going back to the Scranton branch itself, we can start with Pam and Roy, because Roy is still around despite them no longer being together. Um, well, I guess that's the big reveal. We hadn't said that yet. We knew that Jim left because of Roy and Pam, and that she was planning on marrying Roy, but hey, we get a slow camera zoom, the ring is not there, and Roy walks in bringing food. But she sort of gives him the cold shoulder, like, I'm really not interested in anything you have to say except for the fact that you have food for me. And he is changed. Like, we actually get a Roy who is asking Pam about the small things. He says, are you having a good day? Um, of course, too little too late now that she's rejected him. She said, or He says he's trying to win her back because he was apparently very upset by the rejection. He got a DWI. Gained a lot of weight. Now he's lost a lot of weight again. He says, I'm not going to take her for granted. And in my notes, the only thing I wrote to that was, too late, jerkbag. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the the food he's bringing is the unused but had to be paid for reception food that they were going to have at their wedding. So he comes up saying chicken or fish, because uh, I guess were their options at the wedding. And it was... I guess she canceled it so late. She broke up with him so close to the wedding that they already had to pay for all the food. So they have frozen all of their reception food and are eating it day by day. 
And she says she's moved out on her own. She's got her own apartment. She's finally taking art classes, which is just like, come on, Pam. Well, you you can blame her. You can't blame her. But this is something that she couldn't do or was afraid to do when she was with, with Roy because he discouraged it. He didn't want her to pursue this art thing. But at least, I guess, now that they've uh, split up and Pam is out on her own, she can finally, finally go out and pursue something that makes her happy. And it should be mentioned as well that in the cold open, we get a bit of um, her staring over at Ryan. Ryan, who is now sitting in Jim's desk, she keeps staring just out of habit at Jim's desk and therefore at Ryan. And in the conference room, she kind of looks over at Ryan where Jim normally would have sat and kind of tries to laugh with him and remembers that that's not Jim, that's somebody else. And her friend is gone and she misses him, I think, a lot. I think so too. And Jim does something pretty similar during the diversity meeting at Stanford at the end. He's got an empty seat next to him. It's almost like he saved it for her. Um, you Obviously, she's not there, but it's almost like out of habit, this is Pam's seat. And so he turns to that seat just like she turns to Ryan, thinking that Jim would be there. And both of them are disappointed and missing each other. So also in Scranton, of course, is the whole Michael-Oscar situation. Oscar has unfortunately, uh, he's been forced to come out to the entire office, uh, come out as gay. And this all came about because Michael called Oscar a gay slur. Toby, uh, as the HR representative, came to Michael and said, hey, Oscar was extra offended by that because he is gay. And Michael kind of laughed it off and he's like, yeah, you're gay or something like that. And, And Toby said, no, Michael, you don't understand. Oscar is an actual homosexual. And Michael finally gets it. Oscar is gay. And... In an effort, I guess, to try to make Oscar feel more comfortable about being gay in the office, which I think the only person really making Oscar uncomfortable is Michael, um, makes Oscar come out in the conference room in front of everybody, which is a really personal thing for a gay person to do. And Michael just unfortunately makes him do this in front of everyone. And, oh, it makes me mad. (laughs) It's funny. Well, not funny. You know what I mean. Uh, Michael is using these these offensive slurs to refer to people. And he says, you know, I wouldn't use these offensive slurs to uh, refer to people that the slurs actually refer to. Like, I, I don't want to use the words just because eh, I don't want to. <laughs> but uh, he he uses them willy nilly free of any meaning until you use them on the person that it would have meaning for, if that makes sense. And so when Toby says that Oscar is attracted to other men, Michael says, whoa, 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 that is taking it too far (laughs) because he doesn't understand it yet. Um, And then when it finally clicks for him, it's nice that he does feel so badly about it, but he doesn't feel bad for using the word. He feels bad for using it to describe Oscar. Right. Because it's it's the the the, the slur applies to him. And then, of course. Toby tries to get Michael to understand, okay, imagine if you were gay. And Michael just cannot possibly imagine that because he's not gay. Okay, well, use your imagination. What, what Toby is trying to say is, how about you not use this word on anyone? It's, it's rude, it's insulting, and maybe don't use it. Even Dwight suggests not using the offensive words to avoid offending those who may be offended by them. 
And Michael says, yeah, right. Like everyone wants to be treated like they're gay. As if you should treat a gay person differently anyways. Right. (laughs) (laughs) It, It doesn't make sense. And Jan even comes in to chastise Michael for this big deal. He says, don't worry. I watch the L word. I watch queer as expletive, which isn't what it's <laughs> called, but that's what he calls it. And because he watches those, he's sympathetic to gay people. But his response to uh, Jan saying that Oscar is feeling discriminated against by Angela. Actually, I think Toby says that. Um, he says, actually, I suspect that Angela might also be gay and that the two of them might be having a gay affair together. That doesn't work, Michael. <laughs> that's exactly what gay means is that they are they would not be attracted to each other even remotely he, he's just clueless when it comes to anything outside of his little bubble which is straight white male and speaking of angela might be gay uh, according to michael um his reasoning is that she's hard and severe and dwight says you know kind of smiling i really don't think she's gay And Michael says, well, I could see her with another woman, (laughs) which is, (laughs) oh, then yes, Michael, then she must be gay if you have an imagination. Right. And Dwight's response to Michael saying that he could picture her with another woman is he sort of gets this weird, gross grin, like he's fantasizing about it himself because he obviously has a thing for Angela. It's a little more than a little awkward. But uh, throughout the episode, we go to the conference room um, because everybody has sort of blown this out of proportion because this is leaked this hasn't been announced yet until the conference room scene and at this point phyllis reveals her engagement uh to bob vance and michael says that's great and frankly kind of amazing see everybody has a chance because he's trying to normalize uh oscar being gay and saying it's not a big deal and phyllis reveals that everyone thought that he michael was gay in high school (laughs) and he he just sort of laughs it off because he says so what if my shoes and socks matched? I just wanted to look good. I do appreciate that Michael is trying to relate to Oscar and, and to kind of make up for offending him. And he says this great line, of course, maybe we could go out for a beer sometime and, and you could tell me how you do that to another dude. <laughs> <laughs> Oscar, just to just to kind of, put a stop to the situation, to the conversation, says, okay, Michael, great. That sounds great. <laughs> Which is the last thing Oscar wants to do. A, probably grab a beer with Michael, and B, explain his sexuality to someone that is not his friend. Oh, he, Michael's trying, but really, really failing at connecting with Oscar. And this ultimately culminates in the confrontation in the conference room when Michael says, Let's embrace because I don't care who sees it. I just want it to be shown that I am okay with gay people. I am comfortable with it. It is not a big deal. Uh, And so he starts to try to hug Oscar and Oscar just sort of pushes him away and lays into him. He says, you are ignorant, you are insulting, and you are small. And the small is what I think cuts the deepest. It's not saying that you're maybe small in stature. It's like small in... um, being a man yeah in character i yeah in character like i oscar the gay man am a much bigger person than you michael the straight white man are and it it really actually kind of hurts michael's feelings and he starts to walk out and oscar puts michael's feelings 
ahead of his own, even though he really shouldn't, considering everything that's gone on that day because of Michael. But he apologizes, and then we get the big moment. The big moment. (laughs) Which I have heard that this was improv, and I cannot find where I heard that, or if it's even a reliable source, but the kiss. (laughs) It is so... And of course, it's in this great close-up where we can see Michael all puckered up and Oscar's lips are just (laughs) slack and disgusted. And he is so repulsed. Michael kissing Oscar in an effort to show that he is not grossed out or uh, offended by homosexuality at all, which, again, I appreciate your efforts, but, oh, not in the right context or way. (laughs) Right, and I... I'd seen the same thing that this is that, that the kiss itself was not scripted and I believe it. I'm, I'm trying to look for a source right now. Um, the Wikipedia page, which I know Wikipedia, whatever um, it says it's not scripted and it was just improvised by Steve Carell himself. And so everybody's reactions in there are 100% authentic because everybody was watching this unfold before them. I believe it. I, I'll, I'll see if I can find an official source and maybe put it in the show notes. Um, the fact that it even might have been, uh, it even might have been improv- improvised, uh, just takes it to the next level. I think that Carell was able to push the envelope so well to get such genuine reactions from everybody, <laughs> and how everybody was able to stay in character. Like Pam is sitting there just slack jawed, and Ryan is leaning back wide eyed, and Oscar himself being smooched <laughs> by Michael. Uh, uh, impressive on everybody's parts, assuming it's real. And I'd like to think it is. Uh, and like I said, I'll, I'll see if I can find a source. I think my favorite reaction, though, is probably Kelly's. Um, I don't know if this was done on the first take or whatever, because she was totally in character. Mindy Kaling was in character as Kelly. Uh, Kelly, ever the romantic, is just clasping her hands and smiling. And she's just so happy for the new couple. And like, she's just so happy that Oscar's <laughs> gay. And she even tells him later, or maybe earlier, she says, um, I totally underestimated you. It's so cool that you're gay. <laughs> she's definitely the kind of person who I think would be like, uh, relish the idea of having a gay best friend just because that's sort of a stereotype. Um, and I think Kelly would fall right into that, would fall right into that. Um, now, aside from Michael and Oscar, there are other character moments, uh, specifically with like Dwight, because Dwight is in the thick of it with Michael trying to figure this whole who's gay, who's not thing out together. He says he can tell a gay person from a straight person, but it's because Dwight thinks that a gay man would just be dressed like a woman. That's his idea of what a gay person is. And that is, again, just simply wrong. And Michael asks him to do research, see if there's a way to tell just by looking at someone if they're gay or not. And so he goes and he looks up gay porn and is watching it on his work computer in the middle of the office without trying to hide anything. And that sets off a little bit of a uh, scene (laughs) uh, between everybody. Yeah, of all the inappropriate things, I mean, that's got to be up there on this day in the office. You wouldn't look up straight porn in your office, so what makes it okay to look up (laughs) any porn in your office? (laughs) Right, and Michael doesn't want to condemn it because he's trying to not offend anyone by saying that uh, 
gay porn specifically shouldn't be there. He says gay porn, straight porn, it's all good to me. Uh, not the idea. Porn is porn and shouldn't be shown in an office setting, period. But Michael is just trying to not offend anybody for once. And in trying not to offend anybody, he offends everybody. <laughs> and to move into some funny moments for the episode, speaking of all of this gay stuff, Jim, of course, finds out about this, even in, in Connecticut. Um, Michael and Dwight are on this hunt to find out who is gay. We have to know who's gay in the office. And so they mention that Jim uh, knows about gaydar. So <laughs> Dwight decides to call Jim in Stamford and ask where he can buy gaydar online. Jim suggests try the sharper image. Ah, uh, but it's sold out. So at the end of the episode, um, Jim sends Dwight a gaydar machine, which is actually a metal detector that Jim has just labeled gaydar. And Dwight <laughs> is um, testing it out. So he goes over to Oscar, runs it over Oscar's crotch, hits his belt, you know, and so the metal detector goes off and Dwight says, ha ha, it works. And as he's walking away, it brushes by his belt and beeps. <laughs> <laughs> he's so excited to receive this package from Jim. And part of it is because I think he's just ecstatic to have this this whole gaydar machine itself. But I think part of Dwight is genuinely happy to hear from Jim. Um, despite his earlier talking head where he mocks people who might be missing Jim and says, false, I do not miss him. But I think... I think in that moment, he's like, oh, man, it's not look what Jim did coming through for me. And Dwight has uh, famously believed Jim's antics in the past. I mean, even back in conflict resolution, he almost fully believed that Jim was telekinetic just because he was able to pull off a simple trick with a coat rack. And the, the gaydar isn't any different here. I think pranks aside, small stuff aside, I think Jim was generally on Dwight's side. Maybe not Dwight always being on Jim's side, but I think Jim is always on Dwight's side in the big stuff, and I think Dwight knows that. And um, I agree that there's a bit of, if not missing him, maybe just some nostalgia. Right. Now, um, one other Dwight moment for me was when uh, Michael and Oscar are hugging at the end uh, in the conference room, and it's before the kiss, but Michael is crying. Uh, Dwight has a talking head where he says, Apparently Michael is gay too. <laughs> and yet he is my friend. I guess I do have a gay friend. And then when Michael does kiss Oscar, Dwight tries to follow in Michael's footsteps by attempting to kiss Oscar as well. And Michael pulls him away trying to, I think Michael just doesn't want Dwight to overshadow him and his effort. Uh, but it's a, it's a funny moment. There are a couple of classic Michael quotes here in this episode where one of them is, we're all homos. Homo sapiens. <laughs> and he suggests that first gay used to mean happy. And when I was a kid, it meant lame. And now it means someone, uh, now it means a man who makes love to other men. And really, none of those are truly accurate. Uh, at another moment, he says, at least we put this matter to bed. And he says, that's what she said. And then he, he adds the caveat. Or he said, <laughs> try to be all inclusive. Why not? Of course, he could say that too. And Michael's final moment is uh, he looks out his office window and sees Oscar getting in a car with Gil. He says, oh, there's Gil, Oscar's roommate. He pauses. He looks out the window, turns back <laughs> to the camera and says, 
I wonder if he knows. Oh, man, <laughs> how clueless can you be? I mean, Dwight has already proven that he's just as clueless because back in The Secret in season two, uh, when we first discovered that Oscar was gay, Dwight was completely oblivious to that fact as well. I think another funny moment I had was when Stanley had his talking head about Pam's wedding being called off. (laughs) It was just such an inconvenience to Stanley that the wedding was canceled. He said, I got them a toaster. They called off the wedding and gave the toaster back to me. I had to return the toaster to the store and they said that they no longer sell that kind of toaster. So now my house has got two toasters. (laughs) (laughs) It's just so inconvenient. Yeah, it's like, I don't need two toasters. What have you guys done? Come on. (laughs) (laughs) There's a a really quick moment where Meredith, uh, well, Angela has been using hand sanitizer pretty heavily after it has leaked that Oscar is gay. I mean, forget the fact that she's been working next to him for years. Now that the word is out that he's gay, she's got to keep clean because it might be contagious. But whatever. (laughs) Meredith comes over and she picks up the hand sanitizer bottle and looks at it, confirming... uh, presumably, that it is alcohol-based, as most of that Germex kind of style hand sanitizer is. And once she confirms that it is, she squeezes a handful into her hand and she licks it up because Meredith has a problem. (laughs) Oh, we're getting there. We're getting to the good stuff. (laughs) We (laughs) are. And then I suppose lastly for me, uh, Creed, uh, in the conference room scene says, you know, I'm not offended by homosexuality because back in the 60s, I made love to many women, often outdoors, and it's possible a man might have slipped in. There would be no way of knowing, which I, I, I would like to think <laughs> there'd be a few ways of knowing. <laughs> Hopefully several, lots, always. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it is Creed we're talking about, and so I'm not going to question him too heavily. So moving on to some deleted scenes, there were several for this episode, but let's talk about some of the more noteworthy ones. We learned that Jan, at the beginning of every workday, calls Michael to find out what his agenda is for the day, what his plans are, and at the end of the day, calls back to see what he actually accomplished. So she is essentially babysitting Michael's productivity. Uh, which, as the regional manager of a branch, probably should not be necessary. Yeah, and in that same deleted scene, Michael does confirm that he and Carol are still sort of seeing each other. He says, you know, I've seen her seven times in the past three months, and I'm growing fond of her kids. There's the older one named Tommy, who I call Tomas, and then the little girl doesn't remember her name. So apparently they're, they're, they're seeing each other in some capacity, but not very often, or he's just not good at remembering. I, I don't know what the deal is, but uh, they are still somewhat together. And in fact, the reason Michael thinks that Jan is calling him or having him call her every day is because she's just heartbroken that they are no longer lovers. And so she just calls him to hear his voice every day so that she can feel better about no longer being together. Whatever. That's You can think what you want. <laughs> Another funny one I had was uh, in a Talking Head interview with Michael, he is so confused as to why gay men have so many female friends. And he said, well, they don't have any use for the female friends. As if the only reason for having friends of other genders is to potentially date them. <laughs> like... Oh, that just skews me out a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and he says, uh, 
if I was a gay man, then I could be Pam's best friend. Uh, but I am not because I am not. <laughs> <laughs> That's why. I'm right. Right. Um, Oscar has a talking head deleted scene where he reveals that he actually told Michael during his job interview that he was gay. And Michael just laughed and laughed and said that Oscar was the funniest person he ever met and hired him on the spot. And that is why Oscar has kept his mouth shut this whole time. <laughs> the last one I guess I wanted to talk about. I'm going to just say the gist of it and not explain too much. Um, <laughs> I will let you take what you will from it. There's a deleted scene talking head for Dwight where he explains that his uncle is a fudge packer and he works in the chocolate factory in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And that one summer, Dwight spent the entire summer packing fudge with his uncle. Um, that could be a lovely story if you choose to take it that way. <laughs> yeah. Urban Dictionary, if you need some further clarification. But you don't. <laughs> um, uh, the last one for me is a scene where Dwight is sort of investigating around for Michael, trying to figure out who might be gay. And so he has come up on Stanley. And Stanley is buying something from the vending machine in the break room. And when Stanley buys these pink snowballs, which are like coconut candy, Dwight is like, aha, and he's writing his little notebook. Oh, man, obviously something is going on because you bought the pink snowballs. They're pink. Do you know that pink means that you're gay? Like he, <laughs> he has that sort of attitude about him. And Stanley's like, can I help you? And Dwight pauses and doubts himself. And he says, hey, wait a second. Check your fingernails. Like that old middle school thing where if you're a guy and you check your fingernails and you curl them towards your palm and check them that way, then, hey, congratulations. You're a normal straight man. But if you extend your hand palm down and look at him that way, you are obviously a gay person because that is how women check their fingernails. And it's, it's like he's trying to ensnare him in that trap. And of course, Stanley does just do it the, I don't know, it's, I don't want to call it the typical way because neither way is right or wrong. But in the quote, straight way, Stanley checks his fingernails. And so Dwight is disappointed because he thought he had something and ultimately he doesn't. And it's funny because not even thinking about that scene. I just checked my fingernails as you were saying that and did it the man way. So <laughs> take what you will from that. <laughs> so I think that wraps up all of our uh, discussion for the first episode of season three. Chad, what is our discussion topic for today? Well, this is short and sweet, but I thought it would be fun based on Andy's new nickname for Jim, Big Tuna. If you're at work nickname was taken from the food item that you ate for lunch today what would your nickname be katie <sighs> okay um <laughs> i had chicken had some grilled chicken for lunch so like the i don't know like the chicken chick maybe <laughs> <laughs> you know i i had uh, it's a little dumb i had chick-fil-a and uh waffle fries for lunch today so i could either be like spicy chicken or maybe waffle fry or just waffles or something like that. I don't know. I don't I don't know what like one that. Andy would go with. But those are my I options. feel like you would go with waffle fry. Waffle fry. Waffle fry sounds like Andy. Yeah. yeah. Like small fry except waffle fry. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, short and sweet, but I thought it'd be a, a fun thing to bring up. And if if you have something, you listeners out there, uh, have something that you ate for lunch today at the time that you listen to this and you think it would make a funny name, let us know on Twitter or email or Facebook or whatever. There's plenty of ways you can contact us and share your new 
Andy-fied nickname. It's very important that you do. Yes, clearly. Really, really important (laughs) material. (laughs) Well, let's go ahead and go into our second episode discussion. So episode two of season three is called The Convention. It aired September 28th, 2006, directed by Ken Whittingham and written by Lee Eisenberg and Gene Stipnitsky. Michael and Dwight are off on a trip to Philadelphia for something super duper exciting, the annual Northeastern Mid-Market Office Supply Convention. And at this convention, they will also be meeting up with Jan, of course, as well as Jim and his new boss at Stanford, Josh Porter. Uh, Michael spends the whole time hyping up this party that he's planning on throwing in his room and trying to sort of win Jim over uh, in comparison to his, his new boss at Stanford, while Jim and Josh are focusing primarily on getting business done, in contrast with Michael. Back at the office, Pam is preparing for her first first date in nine years, and it's going to be a double date with Kelly and Ryan, as well as Kelly's neighbor, Alan, a cartoon artist. And that is the setup for this episode. It's always fun when we get to take people out of the office and see them somewhere else. We've done chilies, we've done the ice rink, but this is a fun one too. There's there's a lot going on. Yeah, we get first a cold open from Michael, uh, which is back to the traditional office cold open, as in doesn't have really anything to do with the rest of the episode. Uh, but Michael walks in and he is enlightened. He's glowing. He says, Pam, did you watch Oprah yesterday? She says, no. And he says, I am going to be a father. And she sort of double takes and says, wait, what was Oprah about yesterday? And he says, <laughs> he saw Angelina Jolie on Oprah talking about how she adopted an Asian baby and it changed her life. And he was inspired. And so he wants Pam to look up for prices on Chinese babies. How much would a Chinese baby cost? And uh, she says, just so you know, the application fee alone is like a thousand dollars. He says, maybe look into a cheaper or less expensive baby. <laughs> and she says, well, the waitlist can be up to eight months. And he says, I don't know if I'll want a baby in eight months. Which breaking news, Michael, if you get a baby now, you'll still have a baby in eight months. <laughs> it's not like a <laughs> rental process. You can't get like a six month yeah. contract. Yeah, it's not like you rent it and return it whenever you feel tired of it or you don't want the responsibility it is it is yours for the taking and then uh michael decides to have a uh you ever hear those hey if we're not married in 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 20 years we should get married deals well michael tries to to, uh, start one up with pam (laughs) he says hey in in 10 years if i haven't had a baby and and you haven't had a baby pam says no michael and michael offers 20 years pam says no michael says 30 years Pam says, sure. (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't know if Michael just doesn't understand how the the reproductive system works, but (laughs) Pam would likely be in her late 50s to early 60s. I don't know how old she's supposed to be at this point in the show, but I mean, she's in her 20s at least. 30 years, she's very likely not going to be having a baby. I didn't even think about it, actually. Yeah. But you're so right. She's going to be mid-50s to early-60s. Yeah. Yeah, not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, she she made sure to extend that deal to where she, she really wasn't going to have to fulfill her end of the bargain. And then we get into Michael actually preparing 
to go to this convention. He's in his office and Ryan, ever the temp, despite being promoted to Jim's old position, or maybe not Jim's old position, but at least salesman, uh, is checking off a list for things to take. He says, you've got your three pairs of pants, you've got three pairs of socks, you've got three packs of condoms. And I just have to wonder for what, for, for whom? Well, I mean, what, what happened to Carol? Is Michael planning on meeting up with Carol? Is he planning on meeting up with somebody else? Jan's going to be there. Is he expecting something to happen with that? What is the con? What are the condoms for Michael? I don't get it. And so many. Yeah, So many. <laughs> I mean, we saw Kevin do the same thing back in Booze Cruise, and that made probably even less sense. But Michael has shown that he's relatively loyal. And when he's attracted to a woman, he's attracted to that woman. So if he's with Carol, I'd like to believe that he would not cheat on her because Michael just doesn't seem like that kind of person. And we haven't seen him have a whole lot of options either. So I don't know if he thinks that's going to change anytime soon, but... uh... Women don't really throw themselves at Michael, and uh, he has brought a lot of condoms, so he expects that they will. <laughs> right, or or maybe, I mean, later in the episode, when uh, him and Jan first meet up, he pulls her aside and says, listen, I know that you're hurting, I need you to be brave, and nothing can happen between us, because I'm still seeing Carol. So part of me wonders, was he just trying to impress Ryan, like, did he think that Ryan would be impressed by the fact that he packed a whole bunch of condoms for this trip? I don't know. I don't understand Michael most of the time. And this is definitely one of those times <laughs> that I don't really want to understand him or see into his mind any further. I would also like to point out that in that conversation between Jen and Michael, he called the situation the 800-pound gorilla in the room. But he phrases it, um, what are you talking about? The 800-pound gorilla in the room. Carol, I'm still dating her, <laughs> which is really poor phrasing. Yeah. yeah, no kidding. It should also be said that Michael is not a fan of Josh. He seems to be very, very jealous of Josh, the manager at Stanford. And a lot of the the tension in this episode is uh, is built between Michael just trying to one-up Josh or to kind of win Jim back. He thinks that the reason Jim left is because of him, it's because of Michael. Um, and so we see some really big rivalry, at least on Michael's side. Josh is clueless because he has no reason to be uh, offended by Michael at all. But Michael is not a fan of Josh. Michael tries to sort of overcompensate with his maybe lack of managerial skills compared to Josh. With this party he's trying to throw, he says to Jim that he's funnier than Josh. He says, you know, does he have a girlfriend? Because I basically have two. Um, and all of this is him trying to one up Josh and trying to win Jim back over. And there's one moment earlier in the episode where uh, Jim and Josh come up to Michael's room together and Dwight's there too. And Michael's trying to uh, convince them to have a drink before they go down. And Josh and Jim make an inside joke to each other. And they start to try and explain it. And Jim says, ah, you just sort of had to be there. And Michael says, I love inside jokes. I'd love to be a part of one someday. And man, that <laughs> ranks right up there with one of the saddest things that Michael has said or shown at this point. It's right up there with his childhood appearance on Fundle Bundle that we saw back in season two um, for Bring Your Daughter to Work Day. Inside jokes really are not difficult to come by when you have any sort of even remote close friendship with anybody. And Michael just 
doesn't seem to have that with anyone. It's it's pretty depressing, actually. I made the mistake of using that joke on somebody who I thought watched The Office and in fact did not watch The Office <laughs> and that, they thought I was a very sad person. <laughs> I had to explain. <laughs> Michael has this talking head where he says, Jim and I have very different definitions of friendship. I think it's talking and being friends and Jim thinks it's moving to Connecticut and being best friends with Josh. And um, <laughs> Michael ends it with saying, long distance relationships never work. But despite all of this, Michael does his job. Um, there's a scene where they're, they're eating food and Michael uses his entire $100 per diem that he got from accounting to spend on this trip on his food, his personal food. He gives that $100 bill as a tip while he's eating with Josh, Jim, Dwight, Jan, and he's just trying to show off. He's talking up his party while everybody else is talking business. And then later they're supposed to be meeting up to, or meeting up at the end of the day to talk about what they've gotten to happen as far as business goes. And nobody expects anything of Michael, but he lands a huge client uh, that was formerly exclusive with Staples. And everyone is again surprised. And it just goes to show that he acts like a moron sometimes, but Michael always puts the company first when it matters. Now, when he doesn't think it matters, he doesn't put the company first. (laughs) But When it does matter, he's there for it and he's there to do his job and he does really well. The same thing happened in the client and that's sort of what made Jan kiss him in the first place. More and more that I see Michael actually do his job, I think he probably should have just stayed a salesman because he's a very good salesman. He's a very bad manager. Yeah, that's definitely the way it seems. Now, also in this episode, Jim learns that Pam didn't go through with the wedding. And that's sort of a, a big moment because Michael has Pam on the phone and he just casually mentions, oh, have fun on your date. And Jim makes one of those gym faces, but it's like next level gym face where he understands in an instant that one, she's dating and two, WTF happened to Roy <laughs> because that's the whole reason he <laughs> left in the first place. And clever bit of editing right after that same phone call, we cut to Pam and she's glancing at Jim's old desk again. And I had that same thought about Jim's face because hypothetically, you know, she could be going on a date with Roy, but Jim knows that's not true. He knows that Roy does not take Pam on dates and that if Pam is on a date, it's not with Roy. Yeah, it, it it's, it's sad um, because his reaction later... Uh, when when he finally confronts Michael, he says, listen, I didn't leave because of you. I left because of Pam. I couldn't stand it anymore. It was time for me to remove myself from that situation. And one, Michael's ecstatic that it's not his fault that Jim left. And two, he says, well, you you don't know. You didn't heard. Nobody told you. They Pam is single now. And Jim says, yeah, I, I might have heard something about that. And uh, Michael tries to get all buddy-buddy with him about it. But ultimately, Jim is just like, listen, I, I put everything on the line. I approached her twice, and she denied me twice. And so it's over. I'm not going back. And Michael, being typical Michael, as soon as he has a really good moment with somebody, that person is now his best friend. So... <laughs> 
Michael um, explains to two guys that come into his party that, uh, no, Jim and, Jim and I don't work together. We're just best friends. And then he has a talking head saying how, um, I don't need a lot of friends. I need three, maybe two. But when you meet that special someone, you just know. Um, it's, it's really sad because Jim does not consider Michael a close friend at all. Um, I think he'll, he'll like him a lot more now that he's not working with him. But Jim didn't invite him to his, to his barbecue several episodes back. I mean, that's, they're not friends. And now that Michael's had a good interaction with him, best friend. Jim does say something that I wanted to ask you about, though. He says, I didn't leave because of you. You were a good boss. You were a great boss. And so do you think that Jim said that to make Michael feel good? Or do you think that he actually meant it? Because I'm just trying to get a picture of what in Jim's eyes entails a great boss. Is it one that you can respect, like he said about Josh in the last episode? Or is it one that makes work fun, like Michael can do? Uh, What do you think? I was wondering about that, too. He said it with a lot of sincerity in his voice, which Jim can easily not do. Um, But I don't know if he thought Michael was a great boss. Maybe a great person. Maybe he has a great heart. But I don't know. I I don't think I have an answer for that. Uh, He says it in this episode, too, how how nice it is to have a boss that he can respect and look up to, as if that was a change from Michael. So I don't know if he meant it in the way that was understood, that Michael was a great boss. I don't know. I'm kind of rambling, but I I don't think he meant it. Yeah, I I just can't picture Jim thinking, wow, I go into work every day and I can look forward to getting a lot of stuff done because I have a great boss and he encourages me and he helps me to get better at my job and this and that. Michael doesn't do that. Um, But I can picture him meaning it in the sense that, listen, Michael, you're a good guy. I don't hate being around you (laughs) and it's not because of you that I left. And in that way, I think he was sincere. Now, is there room for that relationship to grow and develop in the future? Possibly now that Jim is gone, but it it just remains to be seen at this point. I think it's a good thing for Jim, as I said before, that he has left, Um, especially for his career. I think as a confidence booster and a fresh start, it's like a breakup haircut, you know, it's just something to kind of wipe away the old and he moved and it's a fresh start. Then back at the office, we have Pam preparing for her first first date in nine years. And it's with Kelly's neighbor, Ellen, who is a cartoonist for a local newspaper. And she's not dressing up. She's just wearing what she's wearing to work. And Kelly seems a bit put out by this. She's like, oh, you look so pretty. (laughs) But I think it's just Pam sort of wanting to be herself and hoping whoever she dates likes her for that. Because I mean, Jim liked her because of how she was at work. So why should she expect or why why should she expect any less from anybody else? And it turns out that this date, Alan, is pretty dull and a little creepy, too. Um, she catches him staring at her cleavage. Well, not cleavage. She doesn't really have any showing, but like her chest. And he's kind of dull and it's all about him and she doesn't have a good time. And she says, look, it's not a love connection, but I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I went out there. And of course, Kelly and Ryan on the date are just disgusting. You know, Kelly feeding Ryan fries and insisting that he loves ketchup and just super ooey gooey and 
Pam is pretty uncomfortable for a number of reasons, not only because this is her first date, sorry, this is her first first date in nine years, which first dates are scary enough, but leave a decade in between each one, that'll do it. Yeah, and we get a, a sort of side story in which we discover that Toby sort of has a thing for Pam, and that is brand new to this season. That is not something we've even really gotten a hint at uh, before this point, but Toby is talking with Kevin and Kevin says, hey, Pam is back on the market. She's dating. And Kevin says if he wasn't engaged, so apparently Kevin is still engaged. Uh, he said, I would so hit that. And Toby is like pondering there for a second, like, wow, Pam's single. Uh, wh- wh- what can I do about that? <laughs> <laughs> he he walks past her at one point. She's sitting by herself in the kitchen area and he walks past her and he sort of does like a half wave. Um, but she doesn't notice and he just sort of drops it and lets it go. And then later he goes up to reception desk and he tries to talk to her and she gets a phone calls. And so she says, hold on a second, Toby, and answers the phone and hangs up. And then he blanks and doesn't say anything and just walks away. And he just can't seem to pull off a normal conversation with her. It's, it's, it's strange is what it is, but I guess something new to sort of feel bad for Toby about. In case we didn't have enough, here's a debilitating crush. That's, yeah, that's good. Now, as for funny moments, uh, the very first one I wanted to mention was on the train ride to Philadelphia with Michael and Dwight. And Michael has stolen the neck pillow that Dwight was using and is wearing headphones. And so when when Dwight tries to get his pillow back, he's poking Michael in the shoulder. Hey, Michael, can I have my neck pillow back? Can I have my neck pillow back? And Michael very clearly knows what Dwight is asking for, but he just sort of points to his headphones like, oh, I can't hear you. Sorry. And then he just (laughs) stares up at the camera like, yeah, I don't want to give up this neck pillow. And so uh, Dwight sort of drops it, but Michael is just faking him out to, to hold on to this neck pillow that he stole. One of my favorite moments from this episode is in Michael's hotel room uh, where he's trying to throw this big party. He turns on a blacklight and like number one thing that I never, ever want to do is turn on a blacklight in a hotel room because <laughs> all kinds of mysterious fluids will show up on that blacklight. And uh, Michael says, whoa, what are those stains? And Dwight says, blood, urine or semen. And Michael says, God, I hope it's urine, <laughs> which probably would be the better of the three, I guess. I, oh, that's never going to do that. Yeah. Imagine a scenario where sleeping on urine stained sheets is the preferable situation. Yeah. <laughs> on the convention floor, Michael calls swag stuff we all get. And I would be lying if I didn't go to the Texas Music Educators Association convention every year. And had this quote in the back of my head because there is tons of free stuff to get at this convention that I go to every year for my profession and uh, stuff we all get stuff we all get swag that that is what it is all about. I'm telling you. Also at the convention, um, Angela has decided to tag along, I guess, to keep an eye on Dwight, to keep Dwight company, whatever it is, but it's all very undercover. She shows up to the hotel asks for a key for a Jane Doe, makes her way up to Dwight's room, and uh, Jim, who is planning on pranking Dwight somehow, manages to get a spare key to Dwight's room. And when he goes in, Angela is laying on Dwight's bed. And 
Jim assumes that Dwight got a hooker, which is like the opposite of Angela, but they're they've got some weird stuff, so I wouldn't I wouldn't put it past Dwight, I guess. <laughs> it it's funny, we actually get in a deleted scene that the that Angela showing up wasn't something sort of last minute that she planned. Uh, but it was sort of a gift from An- or from Dwight to Angela because she had expressed displeasure in the fact that Dwight was going to this thing at all. She wanted to spend time with him. And so later when he signs for his per diem cash, he says, oh, can you put this file away? She says, you know where the filing cabinet is. And he says, this is a file that you will be very interested in or something to that effect. And so she opens it and presumably, I mean, we don't get confirmation, but I would assume that it is hotel information so that she can come on her own and uh, be waiting for him whenever he's done with his business stuff. You know, I hadn't even thought about that. And I was like, confused as to what you were saying. Uh, But yes, that makes total sense. I don't know what else it would be besides just a dirty note or something. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Dwight had written her, which is my first thought. But yeah, that makes total sense that he would invite her along. Yeah, it's a, it's a small deleted scene that explains a lot, I think. Michael reveals his ringtone. His, it's fresh for the new season. His ringtone is My Humps by the Black Eyed Peas. <laughs> Talk about a, a blast from the past. I mean, that song was only a year old at the point that this episode released. It released uh, the the song was released in September of two thousand five, I believe. This episode was September of two thousand six. So Michael likes himself some black eyed peas. In fact, he uh, alluded to them in Casino Night when he said, "Let's get it started." And of course, then he called him the Black Eyed Crows. But same band. He tried. Another one I wanted to mention was. Uh... Creed after a weird conversation with Meredith and Angela um, in the break room explains to Meredith that it's okay Andrea is is rude he uses different words but Andrea is rude you'll get used to her miscalling her Andrea and then introduces himself to Meredith who he has been sitting next to at least these whole two seasons (laughs) um more Creed being being weird. Yeah, I, we just have an obligation. I, every time Creed does something, I want to talk about it because it is so interesting. And those moments are few and far between. Uh, so he, he he's just such an interesting character that anytime something happens, it's like, oh, l- l- let's talk about what Creed did this episode. <laughs> I've heard that a lot about people who like Creed is that he has so few moments. He really has very, very few lines. If he speaks at all in an episode you got to hear it because it's going to be weird. (laughs) And it's not the first time he's revealed that he's not very familiar with everybody in the office. Uh, Like back when it was first revealed that Jim had a crush on Pam. uh, I think Kevin is talking to Creed and he says, did you hear about Jim and Pam or uh, Jim has got it hard for Pam or something like that. And Creed goes, Oh, which one's Pam? (laughs) (laughs) It's a similar situation, except this time he goes through the whole process of introducing himself to somebody who he, like you said, has been desk mates or desk neighbors with for the entirety that we've known him. Now, as for deleted scenes, um, the first one that I wanted to mention was Michael telling a story of a past convention, the same convention that he went to that was in Connecticut before, and he went with Todd Packer. And During this convention, Packer made out with his girl at the bar, turned out to be the bouncer's girlfriend, and so they got chased out by this bouncer to the parking lot. 
And Packer, being the great human being and friend that he is, ditched Michael. He got in, got to the car first, didn't wait. Michael didn't make it into the car, and he speeds off. And so Michael is left behind, and he is beat up by these bouncers. Apparently bad enough that it made the paper, according to Michael, that th- this story of him getting beat up by these bouncers was in the paper. And he sort of just lingers on it for a second. Blank, blank look on his face. And... Hopefully, he spent those few extra seconds second-guessing his friendship with this awful person, but somehow I don't think he did. So one of my favorites was when Michael and Dwight were picking up their IDs at the convention center, and the woman checking them in says, welcome to Philadelphia. And Michael calls out Shira, the woman's name, Shira. And the woman says, no, no, that's not me. And Michael explains that he had been chatting to a woman named Shira on a sexy singles phone line and that she sounded just like her. I could have sworn it was you. (laughs) And she had a perfect 10 body, judging by her voice at least. That's right, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Michael has Dwight investigating Josh or attempting to investigate Josh so that he can find the skeletons in his closet or skeletons in his attic, I think Michael phrases it, which I don't think is the correct phrase, but whatever skeletons in your closet yeah Yeah, that's the correct one but i think michael says attic attic yep and so dwight is in this deleted scene interrogating josh jim and josh are walking along trying to talk about business and dwight interjects every once in a while have you ever been convicted of a felony josh glances over no he goes about his business with jim and dwight says what about a misdemeanor and he says uh Yes. I don't know why he decides to tell Dwight this, but he does. He said, yes. When I was in the Coast Guard, I was arrested for trespassing when I and a few other guys broke into the women's barracks. Dwight says, Coast Guard? So you know how to fight underwater? (laughs) (laughs) Which is not what they teach you in the Coast Guard. At least I don't think so. I I haven't been in the Coast Guard, so I can't speak to that 100% officially. But I would assume that that is not a priority in the Coast Guard, uh, fighting underwater. (laughs) I assume not. Um, But from that point forward, Dwight becomes enamored with Josh. He's impressed that he lived on something called a kibbutz, which was a farming community in Israel where he grew oranges, not beets, after Dwight asks him, what about beets? No, just oranges. And then he tells Josh that he should write a book because it would be a bestseller. And this is not the first instance of Dwight falling for somebody in certain manner of speak, certain uh in a certain way, falling for somebody, becoming enamored with somebody. The same thing happened on Booze Cruise when Captain Jack revealed that he was part of the military in some capacity. It might have been the Coast Guard as well, or the Navy. And uh, it he, he became enamored with him on that, that occasion as well. So Dwight just, he likes people in the military and is impressed with, and, and, and is impressed by them. I think the last one I wanted to mention was a scene between Josh and Jan. Jan at the end of yeah, <laughs> Jan at the end of a day uh, at the convention invites Josh up to her room under the guise of hey let's go over our, our schedule for tomorrow let's just spend a few minutes hashing out details and Josh says you know what I'm I'm pretty beat can we do it over breakfast and then Jan admits okay well just come up for a quick drink and Josh turns her down uh, and Jan's pretty peeved about that just a ew. And B, here she is, again, being attracted to successful men. Um, Josh has been the one that's, you know, 
between Josh and Michael this trip, Josh has generally been the one that's been on top of it. He's been professional and successful. Michael's been kind of goofing off for the majority of the time. And Jan notices, and Jan is interested again. Yeah, I, I think the cracks are starting to show in Jan. Of course, this is a deleted scene, so we're not seeing a whole lot in the episode itself yet. But this is just, maybe Jan is starting to become unhinged a little bit. Um, because this is very, very unprofessional, which is something she's been harping on Michael about over and over and over again. I mean, for crying out loud, she's having Michael call her at the beginning of every workday to to make sure that he's getting work done, being professional, doing his job. And here she is trying to hook up with her best manager. It's just it's it's icky is what it is. And Josh has a talking head where he says, yes, I'm aware of Jan and Michael's history and I don't want to talk about it because it's unprofessional and also it's weird and it's gross. Josh's first concern is professionalism, which is really the biggest difference between him and Michael. Now, to close off discussion on this episode, we have your discussion topic, which is what, Katie? Okay, this is hypothetically going to be a little sad, um, but we're going to talk about if you've ever thrown or even attended just a really bad, sad party. I know I have thrown a party that really sucked. Have you? <laughs> I don't know if I've ever thrown a party that like really sucked, or at least if I threw one, I wasn't aware that it really sucked. <laughs> uh, I, I've mentioned it twice at this point already, so I'll just mention it one more time. When I was in fourth grade, I had a Gilligan's Island birthday party. Now, for other fourth graders that were there, probably not very exciting. So that one might be tallied amongst <laughs> the lame birthday parties out there. I don't know. Um, but one that occurred to me when you first mentioned this to me earlier, and to be perfectly clear, I thought this was awesome, but I could understand why others might not think so. Um, my junior year of college, I was a co-section leader of my marching band section, and the other section leader and I decided to throw a Muppets social, where we had our section come over uh, to somebody's apartment, and we watched Muppets movies, because we liked the Muppets a lot. And so we had a great time, the two of us. The rest of everybody else... I don't know if they were feeling it as much as we were. So uh, <laughs> if you ask anybody else, that might have been a pretty lame party. But I'll tell you what, I love the Muppets and I had a great time. So I will defend it. <laughs> what about you, Katie? I see nothing wrong with that. And you're going to make me look really pathetic. <laughs> um, so I was in middle school. And I'd like to just throw this out here as a disclaimer that I am not super lame. Although this will kind of negate that. Um, I was in middle school, probably sixth grade, which is a great time for anyone, especially me. I was just the biggest loser in sixth grade. I was so awkward. And I have a summer birthday. I have a June birthday. And I invited all these people over to my house. Um, and coincidentally, everyone was out of town and no one RSVP'd either way. So I had one person show up to my birthday party and it was horrific. Oh, and I was so sad. That's, that's so sad. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was it was a very Michael Scott party. Uh, yeah, I felt pretty sorry for myself. Well, in all fairness, I just don't throw parties anymore. I mean, that probably stopped in middle school-ish, maybe early high school. Yeah. I don't know. 
And honestly, most of the time, I would prefer only one or two people show up to a party uh, because that's yeah. what I like more. I, I like more intimate get-togethers. So Way more uh, my style. Yeah, yeah. That, that's just me. Now, before we, we close off all discussion tonight, there's one more thing from the first episode that I had in my notes and I forgot to mention, uh, but I really like it. So I, I wanted to bring it up. And that is Michael's final monologue of uh, Gay Witch Hunt, where he's talking about what he's sort of learned in this day, uh, figuring out that Oscar's gay and what that entails and trying to to normalize that in the office setting. And he, he has this monologue and he says, what is love anyways? He says, maybe it's supposed to break all the rules, like, like him and Jan or Oscar and someone else. Or um, he doesn't say this one, but I thought Jim and Pam, I mean, that, that was something that sort of broke the rules because Pam was engaged and getting ready to be married. But I think really the takeaway from that monologue is that there Love shouldn't have rules to begin with. Michael closes off by saying, when two people find each other, what should stand in their way? And I just really like that. I thought it was a great quote from Michael that didn't have any caveats with him being a bad person at the end of it. It was just Michael sort of having an epiphany moment where, yes, he put Oscar through hell in that episode, but... I think Michael really did learn something by the end of it, and he was sharing it with us. So I wanted to mention that. Well, I think that brings us to the end of our official 16th episode of An American Workplace. You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash workplacepod or on Twitter at workplacepod. You can rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, and you can email feedback or ideas to workplacepod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash katie.white. And the best place to find me is at chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A and facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And don't forget, I have another podcast that is a movie discussion show all about positivity and talking about the movies we love and why we love them. And you can find that where podcasts can be found or at the website thecinescopepodcast.com. And all of our show notes and contact information for this show can be found at workplacepodcast.com. That's all for this week. Thank you so much for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 16 of An American Workplace. Be sure to join us in episode 17 for our discussion on the next two episodes of season three, The Coup and Grief Counseling. Bye!